Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. It's been a wild and scary week, hasn't it? Could any of the events of the past few days have anything to do with prophecy? Well, let's talk about that coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles with Church Discipleship Ministries. Welcome to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. As you know, we were going to continue our study of the book of Revelation by finishing up our analysis of Matthew 24. But because they stormed the Capitol last week, and the last few days have been filled with so many chaotic events, I know you're like me and would appreciate just getting a biblical viewpoint of what's going on. And maybe get some encouragement knowing that God is still seeing and understanding and is still in control. Well, to do that, I want us to talk about six different things, six points that I think will help us get a uh, proper perspective of the chaos of this past week. Number one, don't ignore, but be aware. Don't ignore, be aware. In other words, don't hide your head in the sand. Look to the Lord and his word, the scripture, for all the answers and for peace. Because he does have the truths in scripture that will encourage you and get you through dark days like what we're experiencing now in our nation. In Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7, it says this, I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and setting their arrows in the bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at those who do right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have you been feeling that way? That the foundations of law and order have collapsed? What can the righteous do? Well, listen to what the psalmist says in verse 4. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everything closely, examining everyone on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates everyone who loves violence. He rains down blazing coals on the wicked, punishing them with burning sulfur and scorching winds. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves justice. Those who do what is right will see his face. So we need to realize that Jehovah God, our Heavenly Father, is still on his throne and in control. Laws may be breaking down, and the foundation of our civilization may be collapsing. But whatever is going on, God is aware of it. He knows, and he's still in control. I mean, let's face it. He's not up in heaven and saying, what? 
He lost the election? Gabriel, Michael, what happened? How did we get cheated? He was aware of what was going on, and I guarantee you, if he had wanted Donald Trump to serve a second term, Donald Trump would have served a second term. God knows what's happening, and he is still in control. He wasn't surprised. He, no one can steal an election from God. He puts who he wants in control of nations. That's what the Bible says. He is in control, and he is still on his throne. So don't ignore what's going on. Don't put your head in the sand, but look at the current events, but do so in the light of Scripture. Don't ignore it, but be aware of God's perspective. Point number two, sin is sin and riots are riots. In other words, we can't sit here and say some things are wrong because certain people we don't like do them. And then those very same actions are okay because people we do like are, are, are doing them. We can't do that. All last year was filled with riots. We had people burning down police stations. We had people attacking federal buildings. We had people taking over downtown areas and, and cities and burning out the businesses of innocent people who are just trying to make a living with their businesses. Many dozens and dozens of business, businesses were burned and gutted and looted during the chaos of the riots of last year. And I condemned them. You condemned them. We condemn them as being lawless and wrong, no matter what the reasons were that they started feeling that they had to protest. Well, it's the same way now. Storming the Capitol was wrong. It was sin. No matter what was the motivation, no matter what was the reason they felt frustrated, sin is sin and riots are riots and they're always wrong. It is a sin to try and use violence to get your way against fellow humans. That is not God's way. Sin is sin, and riots are riots. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need to realize, just because uh, Republicans uh, may have gotten involved in doing something, that doesn't give them a blank check to do whatever they want. No. Sin is sin, riots are riots. Whether they're Republicans or Democrats, whether they're conservative or uh, very liberal, whether they're on the right or the left, it does not matter. It does not matter what political system they are a part of. We all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, we all do things that's wrong. And we as Christians need to be honest about that and call every sin a sin, no matter who is behind it. Even if we uh, love the person who did that sin, we still need to say sin is sin, wrong is wrong. So sin is sin and riots are riots. And riots are never the way of God. He never wants us to force our will on someone else through violence.
He says that vengeance is his. He will take care of the situation, not us. It's not for us to do. And it's certainly wrong to take someone's life. He says that clearly, that life is precious and murder is one of the worst sins people can do. In Isaiah 5, verse 18 through 20, he also gives us a a perspective of some other sins that he detests. Uh, In fact, it's lying. He hates that and brings judgment on people who basically try and excuse wrong just because people of their political persuasion or their political party or their political movement did it. That's wrong, he says. In Isaiah 5, verses 18 through 20, he says this, Destruction is certain for those who drag their sins behind them, tied with cords of falsehood. They even mock the Holy One of Israel and say, Hurry up and do something. Quick, show us what you can do. We want to see what you have planned. Verse 20, he goes on, Destruction is certain for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. You see, first of all, God does not like it when people who are trapped in their sins run around and say, we're going to continue in our lies. We're going to continue in our falsehoods and you can't do anything about it, God. He says he can. And in verse 20, he says destruction is certain for people who have that kind of lie, who sit there and say, light is dark, or this wrong thing is good. In other words, for people who say riots are okay for certain reasons, he says that's wrong, and destruction is destined for people who do that. So we can't sit here and say, Sin is good just because it's people we like who do it. Sin is sin, riots are riots. Black is black, white is white, light is light, dark is dark, sweet is sweet, and sour is sour. And we can't sit there and confuse the issue by saying evil is good and having these situational ethics. We can't sit here and say, well, just because their motivation was something I agreed with, we can condone their evil actions. No. The end never justifies the means. Never. Not in God's eyes. He is more concerned about how you conduct yourself more so than way he, you defend yourself from being wrong. In fact, he would rather you turn the other cheek and be wrong than do anything that sin as retribution. So sin is sin and riots are riots. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It doesn't matter what political party is doing it. If they're doing wrong, we as Christians need to say it clearly. This was wrong. And I want to tell you, we may try and go around it and escape it, but the truth is the truth. And it was wrong for the riots of 2020 to occur all last year. And it was wrong for the riot that occurred in the Capitol, for the people that stormed the Capitol and tried to take over the Capitol building. That was just as wrong. And Christians will lose our validity if we don't stand for the truth 
100% of the time. We always need to stand for the truth. So, point number one is don't ignore, but be aware. Point number two is sin is sin and riots are riots. The third thing I want us to look at is human rulers can never save the earth. Human rulers can never save the earth. In Psalm 146, verse 3, it says this, Do not trust in princes, nor in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. You see, it doesn't matter who you elect for president. It doesn't matter who is king of a country. It doesn't matter who is the human leader. All humans are sinners, just like I read earlier. All humans are sinners, and no human can save the world. So it is wrong for us as Christians to sit here and think we need to put all our efforts in behind getting certain people elected because then we can help save the world. That's not how it works. No human can ever save this world. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. He is God himself and came and walked on this earth and died on the cross to pay for our sins. He is the one that rose again on the third day to prove that our sins had been paid for. And he is the one that says all who come and believe in him and kneel to his authority and subject themselves to his will, that through their faith in him, he will save them. He is the only savior that can ever have an impact on this world. He is the only savior. And one of the worst things the church has done in America is we took all our spiritual momentum and all our desire to serve God, and we channel it into political action committees. Back from 1968 to around 1978, there was a huge revival in America. We've talked about this. It was one of the first sessions we talked about in our study of the book of Revelation. And we talked about how there was a huge revival called the Jesus Movement. And this Jesus Movement brought people to Christ in hundreds and thousands. It totally changed the political landscape of our nation. The very uh, liberal, racist South repented and turned their hearts back towards God. And churches returned to the Bible. And now, many places that were known for racism in the South are now known for being one of the most cosmopolitan and diverse communities. And that we have learned as Christians that all sin is sin and racism is a horrible, horrible sin. And because of the Jesus movement and us returning back to the Bible, it changed the course of this nation's history. And it brought, uh, I think, uh, equality and helped bring equality to all the races and helped strengthen the civil rights movement. I really believe that. And I think we need to realize that all this energy, all this great revival that was going on and people were getting saved and starting to live and be right 
as people to each other. All this momentum around 1979 to 1982, thereabouts, there in the early 80s, it all got channeled into a political action committee. And that was a mistake and it was wrong. Jerry Falwell starting up his moral majority and channeling all this great revival energy into a political action committee was one of the worst things we ever did as the church in America. We started saying, uh, we need to elect the right people to change the world and to save the world. And that's wrong. What we should have done is kept to our message of the gospel, that only Jesus can change people's hearts. Only Jesus can change someone's hearts from being a racist to letting them be a loving person to all races. Only Jesus can change someone's heart from being an adulterer to someone who is faithful to their spouse. Only Jesus can change the hard heart. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can save the world. And it is a mistake that we made back in the early 80s, turning into political action committees, and it is still a mistake to be doing it 40 years later. If the church in America would quit worrying about trying to get everybody to vote the way they think and, be, and quit being a political action committee, but instead focus on what we're supposed to be doing, sharing the gospel of Jesus to everyone, then we'd have a real impact. It is stupid to keep insisting that the right person who gets elected will change the world. Only Jesus can change the world. Only Jesus can change the hearts of people. And that's why only Jesus is the savior of the world. But now we are in a situation that we find ourselves where evil people are doing evil things within our government. And evil people continue to be raised up as being political leaders. And sin is rampant. And the consequences of these sins are almost a price too heavy to pay, uh, to pay, isn't it? I mean, the debt of what is going on is a price too high to pay. There is no way we can endure the consequences of the sins of our country. So what's going on? Why is this happening? Well, I think it's simple. God, the Lord God in heaven, has stopped restraining our sin. He has stopped restraining the consequences of our sin. You see, the Bible teaches that he raises up governments and gives them power and authority to uh, enforce laws so that sin will be held in check. But lately, these laws are falling apart. They're not being uh, followed. And just like we read earlier, the laws and our civilization are not being obeyed and our civilization is collapsing. We are living in a lawless society where situational ethics rules instead of the rule of law. And I have found in my study of scripture, I've been a Christian for over 50 years now, over a half a century. And in my study of scripture over the last 50 years, I have found two reasons why God quits restraining sin. 
two reasons why the Lord stops restraining sin. And the first reason is because of impending judgment of a nation. Now, I don't have time to read this passage, but you can look it up. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18 through verse 32, the end of the chapter. You read that and you'll see there comes a point in time when a society or a civilization gets so caught up in lawlessness and in evil that God quits restraining their sin and allows their sin to run due course and the consequences to come out and to hit us hard. Now, he does that for a reason. He does that in hopes that people will quit sinning, that they'll get so sick of their sin and the consequences of their sin that they will repent and turn to him and be saved. It's kind of like my dad. When my dad uh, was a younger man, he smoked. He was a very godly man, but just like uh, many godly men did in the 40s and 50s and 60s, they smoked. And uh, we know now that's unhealthy and you shouldn't do that. But back then, everybody smoked. And I remember sneaking a cigarette and trying to smoke it. And he talked to me very lovingly and said, that was wrong. It's not good to smoke. And he let me smoke a cigarette. And I got sick as a dog, sick as a dog. But you see, because of his love and his grace towards me, he allowed me to experience the consequences of this uh, unhealthy activity. And he allowed me to have these consequences and let them run full course. And he knew once I got sick from smoking a cigarette, I'd never want to smoke one again. And it worked. I never wanted to smoke again. So you see, sometimes God, as a loving father, does the same thing to us. The Lord sometimes quits restraining sin so that it will run its course and we will get so sick of it that we'll repent and be saved. Now, the second reason that I have found in Scripture that the Lord quits restraining sin, that the Lord stops restraining, restraining our sin, is what we've been studying about in Revelation chapter 6, the seals. In other words, when he cracks those seven seals, the the first five seals for sure is Jesus quitting his restraining against our sin. And the first five sins are nothing but mankind's sin running its due course and producing its It's um, results and consequences in our lives. And he does that in hopes that the world will get so sick of their sin against each other that they'll repent and be saved and be caught up in the rapture with all the other believers before God judges the earth. That's his hope. And that's the second reason the Lord Jesus quits restraining or stops restraining the results of our sin. It's because the seals are being cracked, and that's God's grace and trying to give us one more chance to come to our senses and be saved. So which one is it? Is God 
uh, removing his restraint from our sin because our country is fixing to be judged? Or is this happening as part of God's plan because the seven seals are fixing to be cracked open? Well, we don't really know, do we? Like I said from the very beginning, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. All we can do is keep our eyes to the sky and look for the signs that are in Scripture and keep our biblical worldview and look at it from God's perspective. But I do think current events sometimes can shed light on it. I mean, let's face it. The worst case scenario is, I think, that our country is just going to collapse and that Jesus tarries uh, maybe for a hundred years. And that means all our people that are alive today, all of us Christians who are alive today, our children and our grandchildren are going to have to live in a fallen society. And we don't want that. So in my mind, and what I would like to see is that this is a completion of God's plan and that the seven seals are fixing to be cracked open and that he is coming back soon. But we don't know which one it is. But he did tell us to keep an eye on these signs. And we've talked about the seven seals as signs, and I'm not going to go over it again. You can review this by looking at some of our past sessions when we went through Revelation chapter 6 and we studied the seven seals. But I do want to give us a, a little bird's eye view of some current events that are going on now. As you know, I keep up with files and keep up with many, many articles that show different things that might be signs of the seals beginning to crack open. And I want to tell you something. Since last Wednesday, when they stormed the Capitol, this past week has been filled with uh, articles that I've had to file. And I have had to create four new electronic files, and I've had to place probably 150 to 200 articles in these files. There's so much going on, so much chaos happening in our nation now. It is almost too difficult for me to keep up with and file in my filing system. So I want to look at just a few of these events that are going on, and maybe you can see uh, that I, like I think, that these are indications that Jesus may be coming back soon. I don't know. I'm not giving you a word from the Lord, and I, I really get upset when pastors get on YouTube and say, God has predicted this. I know many of these TV evangelists that predicted Trump would win the election, and that it was a prophecy, a word of God, and they were wrong. They were false prophets because Trump didn't win the election. Uh, he looks like Biden got it, and he has been affirmed, and he will be inaugurated. So these people that said God gave them the word that Trump would be the next president, they were false. God didn't tell them that. God doesn't say one thing and do another. If you're a real prophet, you have real truth to prophesy. But I don't know, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, God's told me one thing or the other. I don't know. All I can do is look at the signs of our society and look at what Scripture says and make gut judgments, kind of go with what my gut tells me and what it feels like. And that's what we need to do. That's what he's telling us to do. So let's look at some of these current events that have happened just in the past six or seven days that I think can give an indication that maybe the seals are fixing to crack open. At least that's what I hope. The first of all is the purging 
the president and conservative uh, political pundits from Twitter and Facebook. In fact, they even shut down a conservative platform called Parler. Now, I've never used Parler. I'm not anything familiar with it. But I do know in our society, big tech is beginning to shut down people of a conservative voice from being able to express their views. It's limiting their free speech. Facebook and YouTube are purging all content that talks about voter fraud and the election being stolen. It doesn't matter what evidence is out there. It doesn't matter about people wanting to look objectively at the evidence. No, that doesn't matter. It doesn't fit big tech's uh, agenda and their viewpoint, and they are shutting it all down. Facebook and YouTube are literally purging all content that talks about the election being stolen and voter fraud. Websites about guns and how to take care of your guns and the Second Amendment are being shut down left and right. The largest one just got shut down a couple of days ago, but many more are being shut down. And they have declared, Biden himself has declared that he will beat the NRA. So now you can't even talk about the Second Amendment. On, without having your websites to shut down. And we're not talking about Twitter. We're talking about people's websites were shut down by Google. But it goes on. Democrat representatives Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida and Tom Malinowski from New Jersey filed a censure resolution against Mo Brooks, Representative Mo Brooks, for coordinating the objections to the Electoral College certification. Now understand, this is part of our uh, governing uh, precedents. The 12th Amendment says that they, the combined houses have to meet and ratify the Electoral College decision. And it is the rules of Congress on how to, to go about it. And you see those rules followed every four years after the presidential election. And many times there are objections to uh, certain uh, irregularities or, or suspicious things that are going on with the voting process. Throughout our history, there has been times that people have objected to it. And in my lifetime, just about every presidential election, uh, the Democrats have made objections if there was a president, uh, a Republican that had won. So this has gone on back and forth between two parties for many, many, many years. And in fact, in 1876, it was very volatile, more so than what happened recently last week. So this is part of our system. It is part of the Constitution based on the 12th Amendment. And yet these people are wanting to censor a representative named Mo Brooks from being able to participate as a congressman, even though he's duly elected, because he was coordinating the efforts last week to object to some of these states that had problems with their voting process or possible problems. So a similar censor was, uh, and resolution was being pushed in the Senate against Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley for debating in favor of these objections. Now that's what Congress is supposed to do is hold peaceful debates and they work out an answer that the rest of us can follow. And that is the beauty of our system. They debate, they argue uh, vehemently back and forth until they vote 
and then they come up with a, a vote, and that is how we govern our country. That's We follow the vote. Well, they're saying that they should be censored even for debating this issue. Now, I know I have not heard any senator or representative that says we should not, uh, you know, that we should ignore what they finally voted on. They voted to accept the Electoral College. So they affirmed that Joe Biden was elected. And I don't know of any representative or senator that is saying we shouldn't follow that. That's the way our system works, and I agree with it. We should follow the way our Constitution, our system works. But to sit here and try and punish people for doing what their job in Congress and having a vigorous debate over an issue is wrong. And if we start censoring politicians for disagreeing with us, where is it going to stop? And, you know, next time, if the Republicans have all the houses, are they going to start censoring people that want to debate things they don't like? I mean, this is nonsense. We need to allow our representatives to be able to debate freely so that when the vote is passed up there, we as citizens follow what they voted on and follow that law. That's the way it's designed. And it's wrong to sit here and try and censor uh, of people who went through a peaceful debate process as our Constitution uh, says they're supposed to do. But it didn't stop there. Homeland Security Committee Chairman Representative Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, wants Senators Cruz and Hawley to be labeled terrorists and put on the federal no-fly list. They're going to want to call them terrorists now and say they can't fly on American planes, you know, jetliners, because they're on the no-fly list. So this is greatly purging uh, free debate and free speech within our Congress, and it's wrong. But yet they're wanting their message, and only their message, to be talked about. ABC News political director Rick Klein called for the, quote, cleansing, unquote, of Trump's followers. MSNBC contributor and Washington Post columnist Eugene Robinson referred to President Trump's supporters as, and I'm quoting here, members of a cult, the Trumpist cult, and they have to be deprogrammed, unquote. So you see, we're beginning to see within our own nation that used to hold the value of free speech and freedom of religion as some of our uh, most precious rights, we are now seeing them trying to say you don't have free speech and that you have to believe the way we want you to believe or we think you should be deprogrammed, just like a cult member would be. Now that, to me, is alarming, and I hope it scares you too. You know, in session 15 of our study of Revelation, we talked about the first seal cracking open, the rise of the one world government. And we talked about the UN 2030 agenda and the push for the one world government. Well, you won't be surprised to learn that the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has promised to continue this push and to rebuild a new world under the Great Reset. That's what they're calling it, the Great Reset, after the COVID-19 crisis is resolved. 
And he stated that, and I'm quoting, pandemic recovery is our chance to change course. The pandemic recovery is our chance to change the course of our world. Those are alarming words. You see, the world governments are aligning to start saying only certain beliefs, only certain uh, articles of speech can be allowed. Congress already passed rules saying you can't use the terms mother and father and daughter and things like that because they're gender terms and they blocked all those. You can't do that anymore up in Congress. And now we're seeing this push to restrict uh, free speech from people expressing a different point of view. You see, they'll allow it. They'll allow it if you agree with them. You see, it's a situation where they no longer want to say sin is sin. They will allow people to break the law or say or do anything as long as it fits within their agenda. But anytime anybody disagrees with them, they are now working very fast. This has all been within the past six days. They're working very fast to limit our free speech and even saying those who believe differently and voted for Trump should be deprogrammed. That to me is alarming. Now, I don't push one political candidate or the other. I never have, never will. I push what Christians are supposed to be doing. Christians are supposed to be putting their service to Christ first. They are supposed to be spreading the gospel. That is our mission, not to be political action committees. But I wanted to share these things with you to show how they could possibly be more signs that the first seal is cracking open that the rise of the world government is happening in our lifetime. I want to sum up this section of current events with the following quote from an interview. This is an interview with Archbishop Carlo Vigano uh, that was done earlier in the year. I came across this. It was published actually on January 1st. He, uh, Carlo Vigano, Archbishop Vigano, is the former Secretary of State for the Vatican and blew the whistle in 2012 on Vatican financial corruption and in 2018 on Pope Francis' attempt to cover up the sins of Cardinal McCarrick and the Catholic Church's sexual abuse scandal. So this man was very high up in the Catholic Church. And even though he uh, is part of the false teaching of Nicolaitanism, that there's a clerical hierarchy, it's obvious that his eyes are beginning to open and his heart is beginning to be open to the truth because he has called out the church on two different occasions, the Catholic church on two different occasions on major controversy. So he, he's, he's a solid guy and he's blown the whistle because he knows that sin is sin no matter who does it. This is what he said in an interview when he was asked about what's going on in the world. Archbishop Vigano stated that, quote, the dictatorship of the Chinese Communist Party is allied to the global deep state. 
China is pursuing a domestic plan to restore the Maoist tyranny, which requires the cancellation of religions, primarily the Catholic religion, replacing them with a religion of the state, which definitely has many elements in common with the universal religion desired by globalist ideology, whose spiritual leader is Bergoglio. Bergoglio. Now, Bergoglio is the last given name, the real surname of Pope Francis. As you know, when they become Pope, they take on a new biblical name. And uh, Bishop Bergoglio took the name of Pope Francis when he became Pope. So what he's saying is that Pope Francis is becoming the spiritual leader of a globalist ideology and trying to push forth this universal religion where it is against the normal tenets of Christianity. Now, obviously, Archbishop Vigano is pointing out to how China is persecuting Catholic religion and supporting this push of this world religion. But it's also other Christians are being persecuted in China, not just the Catholics. But, you know, he's Catholic, so I know he's going to center on that. But the key I want to bring out is that, like we talked about, to have a world government and how we're going to study further in Revelation, to have a worldwide government, a one world government, it's going to require one world religion. And Archbishop Vigano is saying that Pope Francis has been uh, working along those lines. And that's one reason why China is so involved in this effort, too, because this global uh, religion will have many of the same elements that a lot of tyrannical governments like. In other words, it'll have elements that will help keep the people under control. Let me read the last part again. This requires the cancellation of religions, replacing them with a religion of the state, which definitely has many elements in common with the universal religion desired by globalist ideology. And he goes on to say that the spiritual leader is Pope Francis. So brothers and sisters, I don't know the future, but just the fast, rapid, and overabundance of things that have happened in the last six days since those people sinfully and wrongly stormed the Capitol. And this push to control free speech and to control freedom of thought and even talking about rebuilding the world and the, and the push that's been going on for several years for the one world religion. All this in my heart, in my gut, tends to make me think that maybe we're close to seeing the first seal crack open. In fact, who knows? Maybe the division in America is so great and will never be healed. Maybe this is some more of a reason that they'll set up the Confederation of the Ten Kings and that a king will be over North America, which would include Canada, and a Democrat USA and a Republican USA. That they may just divide us up into two little countries 
and then put a king over all of North America, the Confederation of the Ten Kings. Who knows? But these articles are interesting, and this is just a small tip of the iceberg of what's going on. So how does a Christian prepare themselves for what's going on? Whether it be the collapse of our civilization and the Lord does not come back for many, 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 many years, or that we actually are in the end times and Jesus is soon to start cracking open those seven seals. Whichever way it goes, how does a Christian prepare? What should be our focus? What should be our uh, dedication as Christians and our focus on what we should do to prepare? Well, that's my fifth thing I want to talk about. We as Christians need to prepare ourselves spiritually. Okay? We as Christians need to prepare ourselves spiritually. The first thing we need to do is develop a biblical worldview. Now, over New Year's, on our my current event uh, video list, um, you can look up episode three of the current event videos. It's on a playlist called Current Events. And you can see uh, three New Year's resolutions that I encourage every Christian to make. And I talked about these briefly last week. But that every Christian should make these three New Year's resolutions to help prepare them. And this will help you develop a biblical worldview. See, you don't want to get caught up with hiding your head in the sand. But neither do you want to get so caught up in political events that it frightens you. And that you get lost in all that's going on. No, you need to be above that and take the big picture view, which is what God gives us in the scripture. It's what we call a biblical worldview, looking at everything in the world from the God standpoint, from his perspective that he teaches about in the Bible. So we need to develop a biblical worldview. And like I said on that video about New Year's resolutions, you need to start reading and studying your Bible. Read through the Bible from cover to cover this year. You need to start trusting in the Lord, knowing that he'll have you back in everything. And when you do that, you'll start developing a happy heart. And that's the third thing. Develop this happy heart and start looking at, as, at life as a continual feast, as an adventure. And if you do those three things, you will greatly prepare yourself for what lies ahead, no matter which path it is. The next thing you need to do to prepare yourself spiritually is become a proficient Christian. Now, this is based on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And we've talked about it uh, briefly uh, through our study in Revelation. And if you're familiar with any of my teachings from other churches, we've talked about this a good deal. But every Christian needs to be proficient in five areas, I believe. We need to be proficient in evangelizing. In other words, sharing the gospel. We need to be able to do that. We need to be proficient in teaching people, whether it be our children or our friends, about what the Bible says, and teaching new Christians how to grow in Christ. We need to be proficient in pastoring. You say, wait a minute now, I'm not a pastor. Well, think about it. Pastoring is not just people who help churches grow. Anybody who helps, whether it be their children or a Sunday school class or their friends, grow in God 
and find those green pastures of, of spiritual knowledge and spiritual nourishment. If you do that, then you're exercising the skills of a pastor and you're performing that job function. And we need to be proficient in that. We need to be proficient in all these job functions. We need to be proficient in the job function of prophecy. And that doesn't mean predicting the future, no. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, when he starts talking about the gift of prophecy, he's talking about exhortation and the building up or the edification of the church of believers. In other words, encouraging them, exhorting them, edifying them, building them up to be strong where they can handle the future. And we as Christians need to be proficient in that job duty. And finally, we as Christians need to be proficient as an apostle. What does that mean? An apostle means someone who's willing to go anywhere they're sent for the cause of Christ. That's today is very similar to what we look at as missionaries. But we're not just talking about people who go to a foreign country. We're talking about even in your little corner of the world, are you willing to go wherever Jesus says during your day, to talk to whoever he says, to do whatever he says? If you are, then you're being proficient as an apostle. Because he may send you to a, a restaurant where you'll be able to share the gospel with someone. So ask him, where should I go eat today? Or he may say, hey, you need to go talk to this person there at the coffee machine at work because they're, they're down and they need some encouragement. And so you go do what he says. That's what it means to be an apostle. You listen to the Holy Spirit guide you throughout your day so you can minister to other people. So, Christians, again, just to sum up, you need to be proficient as an evangelist in the job of teaching, in the job of pastoring, in the job of prophecy, in the job of apostleship. Now, if you don't know how to do these things and you need help, then ask your pastor to train you. Go and talk to your pastor and say, I want to learn how to do these jobs and be a proficient Christian. And if he can't train you or refuses to train you, then get a new church. I'm serious. If you're a part of a church that does not disciple you, and that means train you in the basics of being a proficient Christian, how to study the Bible, how to share your faith, how to teach it to others, how to help other people grow in Christ. Every Christian should be able to do these things. And if you're a part of a church that doesn't train you how to do that, then you need to get a new church. And while I'm at it, I want to talk to the pastors. I'm a pastor, so I talk to you as a fellow pastor. Listen, all my brothers and sisters, my fellow pastors who are in the ministry in one form or another, listen to me, please. If you are not preparing your people to be able to stand as a proficient Christian through dark times, then you're failing your job as a pastor. If you're not training your people to how to study the Bible or how to teach or how to prophesy or how to help people grow in Christ like a pastor does, if you're not teaching them to follow Christ wherever he leads on a daily basis so that they can spread the gospel, then you are not training your people properly. If all you do is share little flowery sermons and things to make them feel good, then you're not doing your job as a pastor. Being a pastor means you're training people and helping them to grow 
the way God wants them to grow, to become proficient Christians. And if you're not doing that, then you're failing the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. And believe me, pastors, fellow pastors, believe me, if you are not training your people like Jesus says, he will discipline you. So ask yourself, these past few weeks, have you been talking about hard subjects? This past Sunday, did you talk about what happened there at the Capitol? Or did you ignore it and just do a feel-good sermon? That in itself will tell you what kind of pastor you're being. And I encourage you to straighten up and start teaching your people, training your people, not just giving them a Bible study, but actually training them practical ways to share their faith, to how to teach other people, how to be a proficient Christian in all these areas that God wants us to. Just like it says in Ephesians chapter four. So let's review real quick. I said that we as Christians, uh, because of what's going on and, and just this past week of chaos, and it looks like this next year, 2021, is going to be worse than 2020. Already it's worse. I, I said that we're going to look at six things. The first thing I looked at, the first principle is don't ignore, but be aware. In other words, don't hide your head in the sand, but be aware of what's going on in a biblical perspective. Number two, commit to saying and teaching that sin is sin. And riots are riots. Don't sit here and say what someone does is okay. Don't excuse sinful behavior just because they're part of your political party. Whether it be on the left or the right. I don't know who you voted for. I don't care. But remember, as a Christian, we are honored. And we have to honor the truth that sin is sin. And that means the riots and anything else. We cannot justify someone's sin just because we like. Number three, the third principle. We talked about how human rulers can never save the earth. Only Jesus will be the savior. And quit wasting your time and energy in churches trying to be a political action committee. Quit wasting your time on Facebook and everything trying to convert people to your political view. Spend your time on what Jesus said, spreading the gospel. The fourth principle we looked at. Two reasons why the Lord stops restraining sin. Either he stops restraining because... Judgment is coming for that civilization, or maybe it could be because he's getting ready to crack open the seven seals. And then we looked at several current events that leads me to believe that maybe that's what's happening. I don't, I'm not saying it. I'm not predicting it. I don't have a word from the Lord on this. But I'm saying that perhaps by looking at these things that's going on, you can draw hope in the fact that maybe we're near the end when he starts cracking open the seals in preparation of coming to get his, his bride, the believers who are alive on earth today. The fifth principle we looked at is prepare yourself spiritually. And finally, number six, the sixth principle. When it is time, the Lord will rise up. When it is time, the Lord will rise up. Listen to Psalm 12, verses 1 through 8. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and insincere hearts. 
May the Lord bring their flattery to an end and, and silence their proud tongues. They say, we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation, even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land. You see, it doesn't matter what they say. He sees the violence. He sees what's going on. He sees the, his people are helpless. And he says, I have heard their groans and I will rise up to rescue them. And it, then we can answer back, therefore, Lord, we know you will protect us. You will preserve us forever from this lying generation. And that is the beauty of having a biblical worldview. Because no matter how bad things get, no matter if our political system collapses, no matter if the one world government arises, no matter if the Antichrist government is beginning to unfold. No matter what happens, we can still have confidence in our Lord because when the time is right, he will rise up and he will rise up with judgment against the evil and he will rescue his people. So don't hide your head in the sand, but be aware of what's happening. Look at these current events with a biblical worldview and a deep trust that our Heavenly Father is still on the throne and is still in control and will take care of His children. So don't fear, but prepare yourself to be ready for anything. And in the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you.